Okay, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much again for another day. Help us not take these times for granted. Help us to uh, sit back and enjoy this provision and that you give us your spirit and your word as divine wisdom from you so that we're not confused in this world, which is so confusing, but you've set us apart and you've even provided everything we need to live this different life and to have peace in this crazy world. And we are very grateful for that, Father. We ask that you keep us humble before your word this evening. Have your spirit guide us and direct us. And it's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, the difficult passages, part 21, Grace and Works. Sunday's lesson began with a moment of appreciating the grace of God. That God treats sinful man with grace and kindness and mercy really is beyond human reasoning. It's beyond understanding why he does that, seeing how unworthy we are, if we're honest with ourselves. But as David said in the Psalms, the gentleness of God makes us great. And that's why it's all a testimony to him. Like when we do anything good, we can never, how can we take credit knowing where we come from, knowing the depths of our sin? How can we ever take credit for doing anything good? He has allowed us to live this far. Let's cut it all down to brass tacks. He's allowed us to live this far, even though he should have wiped us out earlier. He's allowed us to live so far by grace that his gentleness keeps lifting us up and makes us even do great things for him. Crazy, when you think about it. And we take these things for granted. So what came out on Sunday was how our enemies want to take credit away from God and his grace. Our enemies want us to take the credit away from God and his grace. Just don't give God all the credit. Take a little bit for yourself, because after all, you are faithful. After all, you're here every night. You know, after all, you're, you're doing your best to do good in God's plan. And so you start to take just that little bit of credit. And that's exactly what Satan wants so he can fuel our pride, so he can get us distracted. You know, so he can get us looking in the wrong direction. Deception is always lurking. That's one major thing that came out of Sunday's message to me. Deception is always lurking to take away from appreciating God's grace in our lives and to take away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So on this topic, deception is always lurking on the board. Unless we stand on guard by the word and the spirit, we will be caught unawares by the devices of our great enemies, namely Satan, the world, and our own flesh. And this is why it's so essential to submit to the word somehow every day. It's like, it's like not eating. Would you not eat bread in a day? Would you not eat any food in a day if you had a choice? No, because you know how weak your body would get. Well, and you'd be very hangry too, right? <laughs> hate when that happens. But you know the bad results of that. And Jesus compared the bread of the word with physical bread. Just like you eat bread, you need the bread of the word, the bread of life, every day. We'll get to more of that later. But be on guard. You need the word and the spirit, or you will be deceived by our great enemies, Satan, the world, and even our own flesh. This is what some people call the unholy trinity, trying to steal our love and attention from God. So be on the alert each and every day, humbly admitting that you need the Word and the Spirit to avoid deception. You know, there's a lot of people, a lot of Christians even, that think they don't need, need the Word of God to survive. They see it as, um, 
as a bonus. That's not really the right way to say it, but they don't see it as vital. They don't see it as life or death. But we should look at it as a life-saving medicine. And when you don't take that medicine that day, you literally are on your deathbed. That's what's going on spiritually with us. Unless we have that perspective, unless we take the word uh, and have that perspective of the word. Because he will catch up to us when I say he, the God of this world. He will catch up to us. And he does it slowly. And that's why we need the word every day. One of the tools Satan uses to pull us away from our Lord is the details of this life and the ways of this world. So we saw this also on Sunday. If you get tied up in the details of life, for example, the election that everyone was very occupied with, you've opened the door to mass confusion in your soul. Some of you may not really believe that. You might think that's an overstatement. You know, just the de- how can the little details of life, maybe the little extra things that I have on the side or whatever, how can they give me mass confusion? Come on. Can it be that bad? From little things? Hmm. And the more details you add to your life out of some perceived need for more, more worldly stuff, the more confusion you should expect. And this is where the word need is not the right word. We have a perceived need for more worldly things, more details, more of this, more of that. It's not really a need. Somebody's duped you. Your flesh has duped you to think that it is a need. Your need is the word and the spirit every day, or you end up on your deathbed spiritually. But the details of life, these aren't needs. And, and the more we, we, we drop this wrong perspective, the more we're going to be set free. The more details of life we leave behind and say, you know what, I don't really need that, the more we're going to be set free. Think about it. Each detail that you add to your life that's of this world is one more thing to take care of and watch after. Now, I mean, what do you want your time to be occupied with taking care of? Do you really need another thing to take care of? Like, uh, so, and it's back to perspective. Every one of us in this room could die tomorrow. So what are we doing? Adding some other detail of the world that has nothing to do with God. I mean, how how stupid can we be? When we're going to face him very shortly. This opportunity, right? It's a short time, this opportunity we have to bring him glory. God left us behind on earth, even though we're already saved, to bring him glory. And we're going to see our commander-in-chief any day now, and what are we going to say? Yeah, I got that seventh cat because I needed it, (laughs) as Pastor said on Sunday. I needed it, Father. You knew I needed it. He's like, that was a waste of time, you know. Like, how many things can we waste our time with in this world? We're going to have regrets. And at the same time, we'll be freer in this world if we start, start dropping these perceived needed details. Hmm. So the big mistake is to be arrogant and say, oh, I can handle that. Don't worry about me. I can watch that program. I can do that thing. I can get my seventh cat. I can handle it. And that arrogance, that pride, will, you know, destroy us, will take us to a place of mass confusion in our life. Here's here's our reminder from the Spirit. Pride comes before the fall. It's possible that you're thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And we all do that at times. But that's being sucked in by the pride of our flesh. So be on guard. Be on guard. What's the only thing that can protect us from that? The Word and the Spirit every day. Or you'll be sucked in. Go to Romans 12.1. 
Again, the big mistake is to be arrogant and say, oh, I can handle it all. Don't worry about me. Uh-huh. Famous last words. And you think a little more highly of yourself than you ought to think, and what happens? Boom. <laughs> Comes the fall. Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And think about this for a minute. As though having your, your sin nature to deal with is not enough, Satan knows how to appeal to your sin nature. Satan knows your sin nature and your tendencies better than you know your tendencies. Number one, he's smarter than you. Number two, he's been observing you since birth. The fallen angels have been observing you since birth. They know exactly your weaknesses. They know exactly how to get your flesh going, kick up your pride. So, again, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Satan knows how to stir up pride in our flesh so that we wander away slowly from relying on God. He's way smarter than us. Without reliance on God, we have no shot at resisting his schemes, even though our pride will tell us otherwise. On the board, regarding the unfair fight, Satan is a super genius. You are not. If you think you can defeat him in your flesh, you are sadly mistaken. He will crush your spirit before you even realize what happened. The only way to defeat or resist him is through the power of God. And God gives us both the Word and the Spirit. That's the only way. Back to that word need. And remember how Satan can get to us. He does it by deception. That means you don't see it coming because he fooled you. So that's how he does it. How does Satan deceive us? He infiltrates our camp. He comes in the appearance of a sheep, even though he's a wolf. That's how he does it. I was thinking of uh, Wiley Coyote. Remember that cartoon? And how the Wiley Coyote would, would put the uh, sheepskin on his back and put the sheep, you know, the head of the sheep on over his head. And it was a horrible disguise, obviously, it was a cartoon. But he, he sneaks into the sheep area, right? He's tiptoeing sheep to sheep, grabs the sheep, tries to take it, and then the sheepdog comes and bops him on the head. But that's, you know, that's a cartoon, that's fun, but that's exactly how Satan operates, and his, his costume's a lot better than Wiley Coyote's. He's very deceitful. He looks fabulous. He looks good. He looks very good. He looks like someone you want to follow, and that's how he does it. So he infiltrates our camp. This is serious stuff. Satan and his cronies dress up as the good guy, use the right language, even use God's word to deceive us. And he does it a little bit every day, a little at a time. He even tries to deceive us from the meaning of God's grace, as we've been learning. And he tries to get us to think God accommodates man. Remember in the Garden of Eden, the serpent said to the woman, Has God really said, ba 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 ba, has God really said that? Satan used a bad question to make her think God would accommodate her. And he'll do that to us too, even using God's name. Go again to 2 Corinthians 11 14. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 
it is an unfair fight. I mean, he's dressing up as a sheep. And we're stupid sheep to begin with, so how are we going to recognize him? Unless God cues us in, unless God shines the light on him. So 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. here's our, our warning, our reminder. No wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. I mean, think of the Pharisees. They looked good. They dressed well. They spoke well. They were religious. They appeared to be humble. And that's why everyone followed them. Yet their hearts were far from God. The Spirit posed these questions to us on Sunday on the board. If Satan's a genius, do you really think he's so stupid to try to pick a fight with you on God's terms? Do you really think he's going to advertise what he's doing in your life? Think, stop here for a minute. Just think about this for a minute. If you had to write down three ways that you think Satan is trying to deceive you right now, do you think he'd be correct? I would say no. Obviously, you think you're correct, right? We, we, we think we're smart. And Satan's like, that's awesome that they think that. Here's the three ways I'm doing it over here, and I'm not going to tell you what they are. But the Word and the Spirit will reveal these things if you want to know. But you need God's power. Do you really think he's going to advertise what he's doing in your life? Do you really think he's going to announce his strategy to you? He's so evil and wicked, guys. Like You can think of the worst dictator that's ever lived on the earth. You can try to think of a human, human being that you can associate that idea of evil with, and Satan's a hundred times worse. He doesn't care about you or me. He doesn't care about anybody. But he'll act like he cares, and then he'll destroy you. So it truly is an unfair fight, and we can't be deceived into thinking we have it figured out or recognized on our own. Satan's lurking in the darkness. He's a slimy serpent who likes to lure his victims into the wrong places and strike when they don't expect it. He operates, you know, maybe we might say jungle warfare or guerrilla warfare, right? Unfair tactics. But again, what's our only protection that would otherwise, uh, from what would otherwise be scary and intimidating? Like, think about this talk we're, we're talking about, guys. We're talking about how, how brilliant Satan is, how undefeatable he is, how we have no hope against him. An unbeliever hearing this stuff would be scared right now in their soul. You mean there is a Satan and he's after me, quote-unquote, and I, there's no way I can match him or understand even what he's doing? I have no hope. But obviously we're not scared because we have divine power available to us. We have the all-knowing God and Spirit with us and in us. We have the perfect book of wisdom, God's wisdom. So we're not scared. And Satan is scared, by the way, of what we have. But we have to use it. So in God's plan, if we are submitting to it, we can rest in the fact that he's our mighty God, able to defeat this slimy serpent who really has hatred for us. Go to 1 John 4, verse 1. As a reminder of the power we have available to us and how it's much greater than this super genius. 1 John 4 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 
namely Satan, the God of this world. Greater is he, Jesus Christ, who is in you than he who is in this world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Notice there are two spirits in this world. The spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There's even demonic possession that exists. That's spirit. But we have the spirit, the Holy Spirit, if we have Christ. So again, how do we get on this topic, on the board? If you get tied up in the details of life, you've opened the door to mass confusion in your soul. So our best defense is to not even open the door. And instead, open this door. We have the perfect door. The one with the the perfect light shining through it. Learn about the door, Jesus Christ. Be careful the doors you open, I guess we might say. It's a very applicable statement to our everyday walk. So be on guard that the unholy trinity is trying to get you to stray off the path of life. And as Pastor said on Sunday, he's just trying to peel your eyes off of that path that God says keep your eyes on. Just trying to peel them away by something. That's all he wants. Because he knows if he can get a little, he can get a lot. So, again, (laughs) the day-to-day, being on guard day-to-day can't be overemphasized. It's a day-to-day mission. It's a day-to-day objective. We need the word every day, but also thank God that it is one day at a time. It's not like we have to say, oh, my God, I have to do this for the next 365 days in a row. No, it's that I'm just going to do this today. And then God lets you sleep at night, get, get away from it all, and start over again. But one day at a time, he's like, just keep your eyes on that narrow path today. Don't let that thing Make you look away. Go again to Proverbs 4.25, which is where we're instructed where to keep our gaze. So yeah, the more we learn how Satan works, the more we can be aware of his schemes and not um, be unawares, right? Not be deceived. Proverbs 4.25, let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Satan and his cronies will hold out a variety of carrots for us to chase. And again, he knows your sin nature better than you know it. He knows how to kick up our pride better than we understand it. So he's going to try all these different means. He's going to dangle out in front of us. We must be aware of his schemes. And this includes his ability to project ungodly, distracting thoughts at our souls. He has that type of power. That's what's called the flaming arrows again. And this is a supernatural Spiritual phenomenon that does exist. If you're human, you know what Pastor was talking about on Sunday, how all of a sudden this crazy, weird, horrible thought comes in your head, like, and you're like, literally, where did that come from? I wasn't reading anything. I wasn't you know, doing anything to make me think that. And all of a sudden, this ridiculous thought. So something's going on. I mean, it's real, that thought, right? It's harmful. It's uh, disturbing. Where did it come from? And so we see in Ephesians 6.16, take up the shield of faith, which will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Obviously, these are not real, visible flaming arrows. Take up the shield of faith to extinguish these things, these flaming arrows that the evil one, Satan, can project at you. Flaming arrows, by the way, could be anything. 
Don't just think of bad things. Think of good things. Anything that tempts us away from God's will for our lives. How many times does Satan use good things, or good people even, to pull us away from God's will for our life? It becomes my will very quickly when we get something we want or we're offered something we want, promotions, money, uh, relationships, whatever it is. So Satan uses those things too, things that appear to be good, beneficial to you, but may not be God's will. Remember that humble prayer the Lord taught us, reminded us uh, recently of, your will be done. The flaming arrows will do whatever it takes to distract us from God's will. That's what Satan's trying to drag us away from, God's will. So back to the details of life. Don't get sucked into the slavery to details of life like Martha did. Go again to Luke 10, 41. Don't get sucked into the slavery to the details of life. Luke 10, 41. Again, there's so many things in life that are not bad in themselves, but they're bad when we become slaves to them. Could be a good thing. Could be a, a wife or a husband, a sp- someone that, you know, even that God brought into your life. But if you become a slave to even the blessings themselves instead of the blessor, you're a slave. You're a slave to the details of life, or details in this world, even if they're blessings from God. So look at Luke 10, 41. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Notice those words. It's not that she was doing the wrong thing necessarily, like let's say she was making some food for the Lord and the people in the house. She was worried and bothered by what she had to do, quote unquote. Where's her soul? Where's her mind? On God's will or on the world's imitations? Was Martha saying, oh, this is important and that's got to be done. Ah, I've got to do it all. While the Lord's asking her to just follow him. So the Lord goes on to say in verse 42, but only one thing is necessary for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Mary was sitting at his feet listening. Only one thing is necessary, needed in this life, really. And there's that word need again, folks. The Lord said it right here. There's only one thing that's needed. We think all these other things are needed. Like maybe the, one of the most overused words in the English, English language is urgent. Right? Everything's got to be done now. It's, it's, it's very important. And then your life is required of you tomorrow. You say, why did I spend so much time on that seventh cat? You know, I had to trim, trim, trim his nails every night. Was I a little foolish in that? <laughs> Sorry, cat lovers, but only one thing is needed in this life, really. And that's the way, Jesus Christ. The way. There's only one way, right? Him. And that's what he basically says here to Mary, or to Martha. So what's your perspective about what's needed in this life? I would argue that's the cause for uh, a lot of our pain in this life. Our perspective about what's needed is off, you know, in a big way. So perspective requires clarity. If your vision is clouded by anxiety or the details of life or the wrong priorities, you won't be able to see things for what they truly are. If you're handicapped this way, it's easy for your enemies to lead you astray. If that's you, if your vision is clouded by these details of life, wrong priorities, these perceived needs that aren't needs, then you're, you're, you're going to be uh, confused. 
your vision's going to be muddied, and uh, it's going to be ugly. But it doesn't have to be that way. Um, we can see things for what they truly are if we submit to the Word and the Spirit. And this reminded me of our old friend in Ephesians 5, which uh, Pastor mentioned on Sunday. Um, and I was reading this passage again in context, and I enjoyed it so much because it brings together several truths the Spirit has been giving us lately, just all in one passage. And you, you as we read this, see how many things you can see that the Spirit's told us over the last just two or three weeks. So go to Ephesians 5, verse 6, and let's listen to the wisdom of the Spirit. Ephesians 5, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. Now note, notice something real quick before we go on. Everything that becomes visible in light is light. That includes what we see in verse 12, the evil things that are done by them in secret. Even the most evil things, if we can see them for what they really are, that becomes light because we see the truth about it. And we can have that ability through the Word and the Spirit. So in verse 14, for this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Remember, the word is a light to our path, right? Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That was like a symphony to me when I read that. The Spirit bringing together so many things He's pointed out to us over the last few weeks. So you may consider reading that again on your own time. But now back to our main point on the board. If your vision is clouded by anxiety, the details of life, or the wrong priorities, you won't be able to see things for what they truly are. If you're handicapped this way, it's easy for your enemies to lead you astray. Go again to Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, 105. We were just told in Ephesians 5, be careful how you walk. And here we see that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Look at the light we were just given in Ephesians chapter 5 from the word of God. The word of God is our flashlight on a dark wooded path. In other words, a place we have no hope of surviving without that light. When we are without power, whether it's literally or figuratively, we need light to guide us safely. And we know the Bible says Jesus is called the light of the world. So here's a question. If we know that, if we know the word is a light to our feet. If we know Jesus is the light of the world, why are we looking elsewhere? I mean, just be objective. 
be honest and objective. Why do we look elsewhere? Why look for what we know are false lights in the world, even false hopes? Pretty crazy, isn't it? But there's our sin nature lurking, trying to deceive us every day. So again, perspective requires clarity on the board. Being humble before his word will light our path, period. We can count on that and him. That will happen for us. That's, that's how God's plan works. If we humble ourselves before his word, he will light our path. So we don't have to be confused. The only reason we're confused, it's our own fault. It's our own willingness to play around in the devil's world, to gather more details when we know we don't need them. It's our own fault. But if we cling to his word in humility, it's a supernatural power reigning in our lives. But again, it comes back to trust. Do you trust that God's way, that God's grace is what's best for you? If we're honest, sometimes we don't. Do you trust that the Lord, that His way and His grace is what's best for you? Even if it's something you don't really like, do you trust that it's the best for you? Rather than looking at the carrots of this world to provide you some happiness or what you think is best? Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So why do we look, look elsewhere? Why do we look for false hopes when we know they're false? False lights when we know they're not real light. What is Satan after, this thief? What happens when we become like Martha who was worried and bothered about so many things in this temporary world. On the board, your enemies aren't interested in stealing your personal belongings or even something as temporal as the presidency of the United States. They are interested in stealing your peace so that you are too debilitated to spread the gospel. We might also say so that you are too preoccupied to spread the gospel. But that's what Satan and the fallen angels are occupied with now. If you're already saved, they know there's nothing they can do about that. You're saved by grace. But now they say, let's thwart God's plan. Let's let them waste their lives away. And if we get them wrapped up in the details of life, we can steal their peace. And if we steal their peace, they're not going to have the energy to go forward and live in spreading the gospel. They'll be too debilitated. Satan says, let me distract them and even overwhelm them so much with the worries of this life that they can't function in God's plan, that they get on the wrong path and they don't fulfill God's will for their lives. On the board, if we as believers are left here to obey our Lord's great commission, and we can actually have a part in saving others for all eternity. Wouldn't that be Satan's target? To take away your peace so that you can't, quote-unquote, march forward as a good soldier of Christ Jesus? I mean, net it all out. If you're a believer, you're saved. And there's nothing Satan can do about that. And the Lord gives us the Great Commission, which is arguably the reason we're left on earth. So Satan says, I just got to distract them from that. I can't have them saving other people too. I can't have them participating in God's plan that way. So he just says, let's steal their peace somehow. We'll get at them. We'll lure them in. We know their sin nature is better than they do. And debilitate is a good word to describe how Satan tries to discourage us so much that we despair, even as believers. He's trying to get us to despair in our hearts. 
And like only you can answer this question for yourself. If you fall into this category, if you fall into this trap too much where in your heart you're despairing is the best word. In your heart you're 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 not confident, you're not at peace, you're on the edge, so to speak. Well, recognize it for what it is. Somehow Satan and his cronies have gotten to you to get you to that place, that point, so that you despair in this world. And the word debilitate, according to uh, dictionary.com, it means to make weak or feeble. He'll distract you by whatever means necessary to discourage you, get you into despair, make you weak and feeble. Not physically, mentally, spiritually. And he's like, if I can get them there where they don't have peace, they, they, they won't do the Great Commission. So step back and look at this big perspective, right? This is what God's telling us. He's like, don't fall for this thing and call, call Satan out. You know, call it out for what it is if you're suffering from this ailment. Blame him. And you know what? Get a little PO'd. Get a little righteous indignation and say, I'm not going to let him do that to me anymore. I fell for that trap. I just fell for that trap. I'm going to steer fear right in the face because there's no fear in love. Instead of turning from it, instead of despairing, I'm going to stare right in the face and say, <laughs> say something I can't say right now. You know what I mean? I mean, seriously, get PO'd at the kingdom of darkness. Like, it's between you and the Spirit, but there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. So, Satan and the world are trying to mess with our hearts and spirits to get us to despair, to get us wrapped up in the world so our hope is on the dying things in this world rather than on the giver of life, Jesus Christ. Satan wants to steal our peace and our hope by getting our eyes on the wrong things. And again, here's one of the main points tonight. Your only hope is to cling to the Word and the Spirit. You need the Word and the Spirit or you will have a debilitating disease spiritually. If you don't have it every day, you're being a fool. Because God's given you the medicine to give you great spiritual health. And when you don't take it, you're just falling for the trap and you're going to be debilitated. I was telling a friend recently who was struggling with his sin nature. I was saying, do you understand that you have no hope of conquering your sin nature on your own? Which it appears he was trying to do. Like, you know, I can't stop doing these bad things, let's say, right? Do you realize you have no hope of through your willpower, overcoming your sin nature. Your only hope is the Word and the Spirit. And until, until you are humble enough to admit that, you're going to suffer. You're going to be in mass confusion. You're going to be sucked in by the details of life. Our victory can only be found by leaning on the Lord. And in James 4, 7, it says, Submit, therefore, to God. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It takes humility to submit. So let's not deceive ourselves like the Laodiceans did. Go to Revelation 3.17. Revelation 3.17. Our only hope, even as believers, is to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and say, you're the only way. You are the only power, the only goodness, the only way I can escape. Revelation 3.17, Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, 
and eye salve to anoint your eyes so you may see. Remember Ephesians 5? So that you can see it all as truth? Purchase from me, the Lord says, eye salve that will anoint your eyes so that you may see. And on the board, the Spirit's been trying to open your eyes to the whole truth about your life. He's telling you to drop any vestiges of the self-life that you might be clinging to right now, to stop fellowshipping with the world, and to quit playing games. You know, the Spirit's had on my own heart, simplifying my life more and more that I can, and, and He's slowly showing me more ways that I can do it, even though it's not always apparent. But I am actually excited about at some point, dropping more and more things from my life, details-wise, I guess, you know? Like, we can do more and more things for God. Those are the good details. But the details of life that I'm still clinging to, that maybe I don't realize I'm clinging to, I, I can't wait till he, you know, opens my eyes. And I look forward to dropping these things. Because they're perceived needs, but they're not needs. The things that make me miserable, probably. And I don't even realize it. So, that, again, there's a lot of subtle things going on in the spiritual realm. And he's telling us to drop any vestiges of the self-life that you might be clinging to. God wants us to see. He wants to reveal it all to us. But he can only do that for the willingly humble. And a good sign of humility, by the way, and this brings us back kind of full circle to... Um, something we talked about on Sunday. A good sign of humility is that you care about the little things in God's plan. And that's actually a great sign of humility. If you really, in your heart, or take to heart the little things that God has in your life, that he wants you to do the right way, righteous. On the board, regarding the little things, it's often easier to walk in the general direction of goodness and be unkempt spiritually. It's analogous to a person who's able to keep a job but shows up consistently hungover, filthy, etc. I mean, isn't that true? It's, it's easier to walk in the general direction of goodness and say, in general, I'm doing a good job, so I'm going to leave what I want to hold on to, what I want to over here. I can't be perfect after all, right? So we use that as an excuse to cling on to garbage when God's trying to free us from the garbage. So, on the board, you know, we, we know what the Lord said now in Luke 16, 10. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. The Lord pays particular attention to the little things. And that alone should make us pause and humble ourselves. I don't know about you, but it does me. I'm like... Eesh, of very little things? <laughs> do I have to, like, drop all of them? Um, do I have to pay attention to all of them? And nobody's perfect, so that is true. But he's asking us to change our attitude, our perspective toward it. Instead of this attitude of, oh, that's okay, it's no big deal. See, that's kind of an arrogant attitude. Where he's like, the humble attitude is, no, you know what? These things are all important to me. I want you to... Um, Take care of these things like they're your baby, so to speak. And like your Father in Heaven asked you to take care of this the right way. And, you know, that's what he, he's bringing out to us. What came up on Spirit, uh, on Spirit, <laughs> on Sunday, from the Spirit, was the idea of being a professional Christian. And on the board, just a little bit about this, this idea. Professionals care about the little things, if you think about it. That's what makes them professionals, good professionals in any field. Anyone can do a job, right? Anyone can sell insurance. Anyone can build a house. <laughs> the question is, how many things did they miss along the way? And the guy that missed a lot of things in building a house, DJ, you're like, ugh, he wasn't that good. And what do you say? You're saying, he wasn't a good professional. He wasn't a good uh, professional at his job, where the guy that 
you know, does all the little details, that's a good professional, the little things. And that's what makes a good soldier for Christ, too, in 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. Think about whenever you, if you have someone in your life where you could say, wow, he was a good professional, because it's probably pretty rare. It's pretty rare in my life. Where you, when you could say to somebody, wow, that guy, he did a really good job. I'm impressed. These days, you don't see that much anymore at all. You don't find honest people in, in work and all that much anymore. But why do you say that if you do get the chance to say, wow, he's a good professional? It's because he paid attention to detail. It's because he was prepared. In other words, he took care of the little things. And so we as Christians, how much more should that be true about our relationship with the Lord God, our creator? So we're all called to be good soldiers of Christ. On the board, again, regarding a professional Christian, a good Christian soldier is a professional soldier who is humble and obedient who pays attention to the little things because he fears and respects the Lord. Isn't that, you know, what the Lord said in Luke 16, 10, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much? Isn't that the parable of the minors? He gave one ten minors to work with, one five minors, right? One one minor to work with. And then at the end of it, he said, you know what? You, you gained ten more minors. You were faithful in a very little thing. If I give you, and I'm not saying this is what a minor is, but if I give you 10 pennies and I said, go do what you can with this, and you came back somehow with 10 more pennies, obviously it's a very little thing. But because you were faithful in that little thing, I make you ruler over 10 cities. Obviously on, the, on, the, on our perspective, human perspective, oh, that's a very little thing. But God's like, how you care about that is how you're going to care about anything else I give you. It's not our human perspective to think that way. But this is what the Lord's telling us. So again, on the board, a good Christian soldier is a professional soldier who is humble and obedient, who pays attention to the little things because he fears and respects the Lord. How can we say this? Because in Scripture, being a good soldier is not getting entangled in the details of life. Uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. If we pay attention to the wrong details in this world, it will drag us down. But if we pay attention to the right details, those that are important from the Lord, it's going to build us up and glorify the Lord greatly. Even the little things. 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And for some encouragement and a different perspective, check out on the board the message version. When the going gets rough, Take it on the chin with the rest of us, the way Jesus did. A soldier on duty doesn't get caught up in making deals at the marketplace. He concentrates on carrying out orders. Can you picture some of our soldiers in Afghanistan? And one of them goes into the marketplace to get good deals on whatever while he while he's, has an assignment, a mission to go on. And that's what we all do, if we're honest. Right? We've got to get that seventh cat. We've got to get more stuff. We've got to get more hobbies that have zero to do with God. Why are we gathering those things, you know, when we should be gathering the things of God closer? So the good soldier concentrates on carrying out orders. This question also came up on Sunday on the board. You might ask, why does the Lord care about the little things? Now pay attention here. It's simple. It's because he understands the erosive nature of our enemies. 
That's why he cares about the little things. They tempt us to leave this or that small detail for later, to give in to worldly pressure, to intoxicate ourselves, to numb the convicting ministry of the Spirit while doing so. You know, if I, if I gather more details of life to myself, I, I can forget about or ignore the convicting ministry of the Spirit and the Great Commission. Someone else will do that. Or I'll do that later. I'm not ready. So let me numb myself with more details. The Lord understands the erosive nature of our enemies. What does that mean? That means they slowly erode, chip away at our soul deceptively that we don't even know they're doing it. So because the Lord knows that, he's like, listen, the little things. Do these little things. I'm telling you, they'll, they'll become big things. And before we know it, all the little things, all the micro adjustments away from God's will for us, all the steps we've taken in a perverted direction, they add up to being way off course eventually. One day you wake up and say, how did I get here? How did that happen? Look how far off God's plan I am now. But focusing on the righteous little things, the details of God's plan that brings us to a peaceful fruit of righteousness according to the scriptures. And Satan won't be able to rob us of this peace. Go to Hebrews 12 verse 11 as I pick a spot. Hebrews 12, 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Hmm. What does that? Discipline. We saw in, in Deuteronomy 8 how the Lord humbled the Jews so that he might make them understand. He disciplined them. He let them go hungry, if you remember, so that he might make them understand. And guess what? When you truly understand from God's perspective, you have peace. But that takes discipline. And discipline is grace. That's what the grace of discipline is for, so that we can see it all as truth, so that we can uh, discover the peaceful fruit of righteousness in verse 11. It's the fine symphony the Lord plays in the life of a humble believer. It all comes together. All things work together for those who love God, for good. It all comes together in peace and perfect harmony over time if we daily Submit to him. And as we close, I just want to mention how Pastor was mentioning on Sunday how some of his friends continue to make excuses about why they don't go to church or why they don't read the Bible, etc. And I'm sure most of us can relate. Uh, we all have people that we care about in our lives who say they believe, but their lives are opposed to him, if we're honest. Those who make excuses are basically saying that their own lives, their own priorities are more important than Jesus Christ. So think about this as we close. How can somebody say that their own life is more important than Christ when Christ is the one that gave them their life? So what, what is that saying about them is what I'm saying. What is that saying about their heart? It's not something good. How can somebody say that they don't have time in their life for God when he's the giver of their life? Guess what? They don't really believe it. It's sad, but it's true. If they really believe that God gave them their life, if they really believe that in their heart, they wouldn't totally ignore him. If they really believed in their heart that God gave them their very life, they would give some time to him, some thanks to him. They would follow Jesus in some way. So guess what? We're back to saving faith. 
and how saving faith will result in following Christ if it's genuine. If someone doesn't have time in their life to thank the giver of life at all, that's a sign that they don't really believe in the giver of their life. And it's sad. Like, it's true. It's true. There's no way around it. The proof is in one's actions, as the Scripture has been telling us. On the board, it's a spiritual reality. What one believes in their heart inevitably appears in their life, whether good or bad. Inevitably, it comes out of their mouth, the Bible even says. What someone believes in their heart inevitably appears in their life. But let me close with this, okay? I'm just going to go a couple minutes over. We can pray. We mustn't get discouraged. It's real easy to lose hope when we see people ignoring God or, or even lashing out at God. But remember, God's timing varies person to person. God's timing varied with you. How many years were you lost? How many years did you deny God? Years, most of us. How many years did you say no? And God was patient. He humbled us at a certain point somehow. And then when we were ready, the Spirit convicted us. Why do we think He won't do that for our friends and family too? Why do we despair is what I'm trying to say. Why do we lose hope? That's not what believers do. Because we have the great hope. We have, we have the supernatural one of the universe on our side working on those that we love. And he loves them more than we love them. So don't lose heart. Remember how lost you were at one point in your life. But God got to you, didn't he? At the right time. So we pray for our friends and loved ones with great hope that he will reach them at the right time. So we'll close with this point. Stay the course. Stay the course. Stay focused on the little things too. Being a good soldier for Christ. Because it may well be those little things that your friends see in you over years of time that turns them to Christ and his love. God's on the job. It's not like, you know what I mean? It's not like he's sleeping. Your job as a good soldier of Christ, as a professional Christian, is to take care of the little things, follow his word, be a good soldier, and it might just be those little things that people eventually marvel at or see Christ's love in you, and they're like, wow, it is real. You know, he's not a hypocrite like everybody else, or that love is real. He's actually doing the little things that most Christians say but don't do stay the course you know pastor keeps calling us a seal team six in the christian life right and part of me is like really but you know what there's so few christians unfortunately that that stay the course that strive to learn more about god right that that really follow him and his word and submit and surrender. But if we stay the course in this way, folks, this is how he does great things with us. His, God's gentleness makes us great. So that's the message the Spirit's giving to us particularly. That's part of the role we can play in the Great Commission so long as we refuse to get wrapped up in the details of life. God has a reason for everything and a purpose for everything in our lives. And as we've been learning, he has many purposes for even just one thing in our lives. And that's what we rely on. That's what we have faith in, that he is who he is. He's got it all under control, and we're going along for the ride. And we take care of the little things, and all of a sudden we see this great fruit. We're like, where did that come from? Well, God did it in your life because you obeyed the little things. And he'll even do that with our loved ones in due time. So let's keep the great hope, shall we, and not despair like some do in this world that have no hope. Amen? Let's close. 
Father, we thank you so much for this uh, wonderful time in your word. We thank you for the truth that sets us free. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to us to show us grace and truth. Father, we ask that you bless your word to our souls. Have your spirit guide us as we leave tonight and put the things on our heart that need to be there. Open our eyes to the little things. And Father, help us avoid slavery to the details of this life. We thank you in advance for the peace that you give us through obedience. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.